I don't get it. I don't get this world. I don't understand why there's so much chaos and confusion. I don't get life. I don't understand the meaning of life and what's the purpose of life and all the things that we struggle with. I don't get God. What are you doing? Are you anywhere in this world at all or have you left us? Have you turned your back upon us? What about this? Lord, I don't get the spouse that you've given to me. We used to really love each other and now we're so far apart. Don't look. Just keep focused on me and my shirt. These are questions that we have. We, we struggle with these questions, and we're going through this series called I Don't Get It. And today we're going to talk about I don't get the trouble that the Apostle Paul is writing about. Why in this world would God bring trouble? Why can't we escape from evil and suffering and trouble in this world? Why can't we? Hopefully that will make some sense by the end of today's message. But today we're asking the question, does God cause evil? Did God create it, and is God a mean God? Is he really not a part of our life? And is he just out there, kind of this mastermind, destroying people's life because he's bored? The world would say yes. But if you're a Christian, you have to say no and believe that Jesus is bigger than that and that God came to do greater things than what we see, and hopefully that'll make sense. Probably one of the greatest challenges to Christianity and to Christians as a whole is the concept of a loving God and evil and suffering in this world. There's a contradiction here that they struggle with. Why would a loving God, a person that doesn't believe, why would a loving God hurt people, hurt kids, hurt a loss of child, maim and destroy land and property and all the likelihood? Why would God who's supposed to be so loving, allow evil in this world. There seems to be a contradiction. Greatest thinkers in this world from the past and present have struggled with this. And what we are trying to do in this church is give you some ammunition going out into the world so that you can understand what God is trying to do and you can understand why there might be troubles or evil and even suffering in this life. So hopefully you'll get that as we go through it. If you're new here today, we love having new people. We love having new people. It's important to our church because our church is on a mission to love people. Love people one person at a time. And if there would be no new people, we'd just be a holy huddle and never bring people into the fold. And we are not just about being holy, huddling around just the cross. We want to bring new people and give the gospel away. Amen? So if you're new, a special welcome. Uh, here's the thing. If you choose not to come back to this church, you take our gift... I'm saying that you receive our gift, you have some coffee and donuts, and you say, this church isn't for me. That's totally fine. We love that if you go and find a place that you really fit in. But here's the thing. Please take our mission statement and go out and love the world because that's what the world needs. I'm raising up three beautiful girls, and I'm asking for you to partner with me in the gospel so that these girls can truly see the love of God. But these girls that are being raised up in our family also know that they have to bring the love to actually receive the love. Does that make sense? So let us go into this world and, uh, and be loving people. And if you never come back, take that mission and watch the world be transformed. Now, 
I talk about my old, my, my, my Bible. I uh, went to a Baptist seminary, a small, really small Baptist seminary several years ago to get my pastor's license. And uh, I, I just want to kind of go backwards a little bit. If you're Baptist, praise God, you're welcome here. And uh, I'm going to go a little bit Baptist and get dressed correctly so that I can get right, get holy with God and kind of bring it back. When you go to Baptist, you've got to always have a jacket and a tie in your car because you never know when you go up to to church and put on. So let me just put my old jacket on and and get God right here (laughs) so I can get comfortable with what God wants to do because I want to preach a little bit from the Baptist concept, right, which is this. And and this jacket's really going to help us understand this. Here's the thing. I want to talk about evil, and then I want to close with suffering. But this jacket is going to help me bring the holiness to you guys so that you can understand a little bit of how God can answer the question of why is there evil in this world. One of the most logical answers that we can understand about evil is God simply didn't create evil. It's just not part of what he is. Because evil in itself does not actually exist. It's just the absence of goodness. That's what we're talking about. Evil is just the absence of God's goodness, and that's what we're trying to understand here. Similarly, we see in the Bible that God created light, and darkness is the absence of light. This morning, as I was reading from Genesis chapter 1, as I went through the whole creation story, there was a moment where the Bible was saying there was all kinds of darkness and and everything hovering, and all of a sudden God said, let there be light, and he created light, and he said that was good, and then I'm going to separate it from this dark thing, and I'm going to call it day. But there was no real name of that darkness was really nothing. The light was everything. So darkness's definition is the absence of light. Now, this sounds really cool coming from a pastor up on church on Sunday trying to get to the idea that evil is nothing, but it's actually a scientific term, and it's the way that they look at science as well. Now, if you guys been here for a little while, we have another pastor. He preached last week. His name is Jeremy Case. He's super uh, an educated, really brainiac kind of a guy, and this is my Jeremy Case impersonation. I can't even say it, so I... <laughs> That's God trying to stop me from making fun of my buddy here. Here's my Jeremy Kay's impersonation about science. Here's the thing. Now, I don't know if you guys know about science, but there's this concept of heat. Now, when you put a, 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 a pot of water on an element, it starts to boil and it starts to heat. Now, here's what the definition of heat really says. It's up on the screen here. Here's what it says, and this is the Jeremy Kay's part. It's really the educational part. Heat is a term used to describe the motions of atoms and molecules. This is what we're truly trying to say is the movement of atoms and molecules. When an object is cold, it simply has less molecular movement, relatively speaking. At absolute zero, all all molecular movement would completely stop, theoretically. You cannot get any colder than that because there is no way to add more coldness. You can only remove from the heat, and when the heat's gone, that's as far as you can go. Now, I went to Chico, so here's what it really says. You take the pot off. And the water turns cold, and there's no more heat, and it quits boiling. But here's the point that I'm trying to get to. The absence of heat stops all molecular movement, and it's a scientific term as well. And that's why God uses this. The absence of light is darkness, and the absence of evil is the absence of God. There's a great Christian thinker, Augustine, and he defines evil as this, and I have it up on the screen. He's saying evil in itself doesn't exist at all. It doesn't exist. He said, evil is a disordered will, a disordered love, a wrongful relationship, 
a non-conformity of our will to God's will, and he quotes Genesis 1, the creation story, and Genesis 3 is the fall and rebellion of man. And he says, this is really what we're talking about here. Now, basically what Augustine is saying is something is, that is lacking is not a thing in itself. Something that is lacking is not a thing for itself. Now, I've got my Baptist jacket on, and I've been holding it back for a little bit. I don't know if you guys realize that I'm a really holy guy, and that's how I became a pastor. But here's the thing that I'm trying to get to, and I'm using this jacket, something that I used to wear many years ago, to get, represent. The jacket is something, right? When I look inside and see my friend Lindsay there, there's nothing here. To grab onto. The absence of the hole in my jacket is actually nothing, but the jacket is something. Does that make sense? And that's what evil is. Apart from God, there's a hole in this world and there's absolutely nothing. God is not there and evil exists. But God says, I'm going to bring my son in and I'm going to give you something to hold onto in the midst of this evil. Does that make sense? I'm going to put my Baptist stuff off just for a second. No disrespect if you're Baptist, but it's hot in there. <laughs> Augustine would say, as to conclude this section of evil, that when you're lacking something, you're actually missing out on something. And that there's really not anything apart from God. If God is in the situation, there should be no evil. If God is not in it, there's going to be evil, and it's lacking God's morality. And that's what we're trying to get to. So I want to make a pivot here back to where we need to be. Why is there suffering? Who told you in this world that there should not be suffering? Who told you that kids wouldn't die? Who told you that people weren't going to be destroyed in hurricanes and earthquakes? Who told you that? Could it be Satan? That was a Saturday Night Live thing. It was, I guess you guys, some of you stayed awake that late. But the point is this. Satan has done a masterful job in this world for years, decades, centuries to pin everything negative in this world onto God. And guess what? You believe it. We believe it. And God is not that way. And what you need to do is resist that mindset and realize that the absence of God is evil. And because of that, we need to bring more godliness into our life so that we can minimize the evil and, and, and understand suffering. Happiness is found. Here's a slide that I found this week, and it says, Happiness can be found even in the darkest times if one remembers to turn on the light. Listen, we are in a dark society, and there's going to be dark things happen. It's happened in my life. It's happened in my family's life. And I go into people's lives on a regular basis and feel the darkness that's going on in your life. Death and divorce and uh, foreclosure, loss of families, loss of kids. My brother uh, Lowell lost a son, lost two kids. There's a lot of things that happen, and all we need to do is remember to flip on that switch. My life is like this, 24 hours, a, uh, 24 hours at a time. That's how I try and live my life. And every morning, I read, I pray, and I flip on the switch saying, Jesus is for me. He's not against me. God is with me. God is for me. And by 9 o'clock, i got to do it again because I've already forgot. And then by noon, and by 3, and if you're like me, it just keeps going. Some of you are every hour, every minute, but you've got to remember to turn on the switch. If not, you're going to stay in darkness. 
and not live in the glory that God has for you. Does that make sense? That brings us to our memory verse. We believe that you need to learn how to memorize the Bible. Here's our memory verse. And it's kind of funny. We do a memory verse, and every time I do a memory verse, I get to preach a lot on Sundays. I read it because I don't remember it. So that's kind of hypocritical. Sorry. Um, here's what the memory verse says. God is communicating. He says, your hands made me and formed me, giving me an understanding to learn your commands. Listen, the God of the universe sent his son into this world and then took his son and left us with the Holy Spirit. And the purpose of God was to form us and mold us into the, in the mother's womb. And at one point, he was going to turn this light on so that we can understand more about who he is and what he is. God's plan is for, open, for you to open up your heart to him and understand more and get out of the darkness and the absence of God and into the glory of God and who he really is. God has given us the ability to understand. And in Christianity, what you do is you first believe and then you start growing and you start understanding more and more of what God has for us. But you've got to practice that. As a doctor practices medicine, Christians need to practice faith and trust, and more and more is revealed to us and to our hearts and who Jesus is. Does that make sense? In your notes, there's a green piece of paper, and what we usually do is put the Bible verse, and then I have something in the bottom of it, and these are principles of God. These are who he is. These are values, doctrines, main beliefs, moralities, ideologies of who God is, so that you can remember them and you can hold on to them as you go through things in your life. A couple weeks ago, me and my wife and Jeremy were at Lowell's house as his son passed away. And the first thing I can remember as we were going there is that God is good. The first morality that we have is God is good. Even in the passing of a dear friend and, and the loss of a son, God is good. That's the first principle. When all things have fallen down, you need to realize what? God is good. The Bible tells us that God is good, but we forget it because our society creates this great forgetfulness in our life. By the time we get to toppers, we've completely forgot that God is good. And we're worried about pepperoni and sausage and the salad bar and ranch. My wife turns her head when she hears ranch. Psalm 136 says, give thanks to the Lord for he is, wow, I mean, if he was here today, what would he feel like when he said that? Give thanks to the Lord for he is, wow, oh, we might make it to heaven. For his love endures forever. The Bible tells us that God is good and you should be thankful for who he is and what he's brought into your life. Even if it's evil and suffering, you should be thankful. That's a principle that you need to rest on. He is good, and his love endures forever. We don't understand forever. We're going to sing a song forever today, but we don't really understand forever, and I'll get back to that in a second. But it says his love endures forever. His love is the most powerful element in the world. It's the most powerful vehicle in the world. It's the most powerful entity that we could ever have is God's love. The second thing that we need to realize is not only is he good, but God is love. That's why our mission statement is about God's love. And here's what points back to it. It says, 1 John 4, 8, whoever does not love does not know God. So we've made a decision. This church needs to be about love so that they know God. It first starts with love. And once you understand love, then you start to understand who God is because it says God is love. 
That's what we're trying to get to in this place, a principle that God is love. If you don't understand love and you've been married or you're in a relationship and you want to understand love, you got to understand God because he is love. And what he has done for this world is the ultimate sacrifice of love, letting the son die for you and I. I love my kids. And I always joke around, but I would never sacrifice any of them, not even my dog. I think about that sometimes, but I wouldn't do it. God is love, and we need to understand love. Here's the thing that really we struggle with. As we talk about evil and suffering, one of the things that we struggle with is this sovereign God, because this is what gets thrown back at you from the non-believers. How could a sovereign God who's everywhere in all things and doing miraculous and mighty things that has the ability to stop anything not stop uh, evil and suffering? What kind of sovereign God is he? Is he weak? Or is he just angry and making judgment? That's what we're talking about here. What kind of God are we really dealing with? That's what we're trying to understand here. Here's what, here's what the Bible says, John chapter 9, verse 1 and 3. And here's what it says this. I'm going to paraphrase. Jesus' disciples were at this place saying, I don't get what's going on. Jesus, who sinned first? They're talking to this blind man who had been blind for 38 years. And he said, who sinned first? Was it his parents or was it him who sinned that made him blind? What happened here? And they're having this conversation. They're in this concept. I don't get it. I don't understand what God's doing here. And here's what Jesus says in verse 3. He says, this happened so that the power of God can be seen in him. This man was in the mother's womb and he was going to be born blind. Born blind, and the sovereign God knew that he was going to be born blind, and even so, he let him live this earth, and it um, surely wasn't a great life. I'm I'm almost positive it wasn't. I'm sure he was fine in some avenues, but being blind and having an ailment like that for 38 years is debilitating. But God says, listen, I did this so that the power of God could stand up and rise up. Will you wait 38 years for God to do a work in your life? Anybody? So no. So no. I'm not going to wait 30 seconds. I got Google. I can answer and that should solve my problems. Are you willing to believe in a sovereign God that might take you 38 years to get to that whole point? Or 40 years? Or 50 years? Or the last moment of your life? That's what a sovereign God does. He has a plan, you stick to it, and even if it takes 38, 48, 58 years, he wants you to trust in that. How about this? God is infinite. Another principle, another thing that we should rest on. We are finite people, and God is infinite. We are finite. What, what, What that means is this. If you go to the beach, you are just one piece of sand in all the sand in the world. And God is all the sand in the world. And if you don't understand finite, go to the beach after church and start counting grains of sand. And once you get through about a cup of it, tell me how much infinite is. Because once you get to that concept of infinite, then it's 100,000 million times more beyond that. God is infinite. Here's what it says. Great is our Lord. Mighty is his power. And his understanding has no limit. There's no limit to what he can understand. We are finite, and he, are, and he is infinite. We don't understand. Go to the beach. Mark an area and see how infinite he really is. After about 15 or 20 kernels, I stop, and I go, hey, Shelby, will you do it? And 
She'll go, how much are you going to pay me? And she'll count about 50, and she's like, I'm done. Give me my money. So the point is this. God is infinite, and we are finite. Here's the last one. He comforts all. God comforts all. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3b says, God is our merciful Father, and he is what? The source of comfort. If you're struggling today, if you've experienced evil, if you're suffering, God is the source of all comfort. Now, in the Bible, I want to use an illustration of a man in the Bible that was a great sufferer. We all know him. If we've been in church, his name's what? Job. Good job. Job was a great sufferer. There was a wage between him, uh, uh, God, and Satan, and he put Job out there on the forefront to be a sufferer. And Job lost all his material possessions, all his health, all his wealth, and everything that he had, even all his kids. I don't know if you've ever lost a kid. There's like a fraternity here at the church where a bunch of men have lost their kids. It's like a, you know, like a fraternity, a group of guys. And, and, and they've all lost a son. Lowell has lost two. But if you're a mother that's lost a kid, it's a lifestyle. It's not a fraternity. It's deep. Job has lost all of his kids. He's lost all of his possessions. He's in the point of suffering, and he's struggling but he remains faithful. But here's what he did, and it's really apropos for Christians today. He's a chronic whiner. Why me, God? Didn't you see I was teaching kids rock first service? Lord, didn't you see I put a few bucks in the offering? Didn't you see I gave a devotion of three minutes before I came to church? Hallelujah, Jesus. Why am I suffering? Why don't I have what you want me to have? And Job is kind of a whiner Christian. Yep, I was going to say we have a bunch of them out there, not in here. You guys are all good. <laughs> we have a bunch of them in society, and we're teaching against that here. You have to accept the lot in life that God has you and use it for his good. But here's what happened. After 35, 40 chapters, Job is confronted by God, and it's in a spiritual sense. It's not a face-to-face, -face, just like he would confront us. And he's confronted with God as he's whining and asking these why me questions. And then all of a sudden God silences him. And he starts asking Job questions. Where when you were the earth was formed? What, where, who was holding the dimensions? And he was asking these huge questions that nobody can answer. And Job is silent. His tongue is taken from him. And his silence, he wasn't saying that all my pain and suffering is gone. He just realized that God was sovereign. And he was powerful and he was good and he was infinite. And the way that he lived was far bigger and better than anything that he had ever gone through. And the questions shut Job up. And that's what should happen in church. But here's the real solution. This underscores the importance of trusting God's principles and his sovereignty. We may never know the specific reason why there is suffering in this world. But we know that God can use it for good. We know God can be a love offering to this world by the suffering and evil that happens. We know that God is a comforter and he wants to do a good work in that. And that brings us to this kind of point of suffering. The real answer for suffering is that God is sovereign. And he wants to do a powerful work. And someone in your life is watching you go through the suffering moments or months or years or decades going, how are you doing that? And if you're really right from God, you can point to Jesus. And that person will be blown away if you're willing to communicate that. 
If we go back to the verse, I've got about 12 minutes to kind of go back to this verse and talk about the purpose of suffering. The Apostle Paul was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write letters to the church and tell this church that was struggling with all kinds of things, chaos and confusion in the church. And he's like, listen, here's what you guys need to understand. All of us are suffering. We are all partnering with Christ in our suffering, but God is the God of comfort. So first thing we need to realize is that God is the source. And here's what he says. Back to our verse. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. If you want comfort, if you're not plugging into God, you're plugging into something that's not going to bring you eternal comfort. It might bring you fleeting comfort, but it's not going to bring you an eternal comfort that you can rest on. The Apostle Paul continues, he comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. Why are you comforted? Good. We can comfort others. Thanks, Yvette. Somebody's listening and might get something out of the sermon. He's comforting us so that we can comfort others because it's going to happen, especially if you have kids or parents. And everybody's got one of those that you're going to have to comfort somebody else in this world. That's part of our job. That's our life. That's our purpose in life is to be a comfort and God's offering to this world. So when they are troubled, they will be, you will be able to give them the same comfort that God has given you. The purpose of suffering is so that we can be comforted by God and then be a comforter to other people. Not the purpose of God is that he can comfort us and then we can continue to whine and complain about all the problems in the world. That's what we want to do. And truthfully, that's what we do. At least that's what all your Facebook posts said this week. The point is this. We need to be comforters and comfort other people. He is the source. He is also love. What is love? My, my oldest daughter is a romanticist. She loves love. She loves love. That's kind of weird. She gets all watch some goofy movie and she's like crying and kind of ridiculous it's cute but it's a little ridiculous but the truth is this love is important it's what moves us she's been a christian most of her whole life she has love and that's what we need to have we need to reconnect to god's love constantly and understand what christ did for that love here's what paul says furthermore we suffer for christ the more god will the more we suffer for christ the more god will shower us with his comfort through Christ. Think about your shower today. Hopefully some of you took one. I know, last night was important too. Good, that will take 24-hour shower. Think about that shower and how warm and comfortable it feels. If you've ever been sore and cold or hot and you put the shower on and you do the reverse, it's great comfort. That's what God wants. He wants the shower and it comes from life. And that's because he loves you. When we are weighed down with our troubles, it's... It's for your comfort and for your salvation. When you are weighed down and you have troubles that are debilitating, it says it's for your comfort so that you can understand who God is and get to that loving place. And it's also for your salvation, that initial spot where you get a right to go to heaven. But it's also to expand who you are in Christ. Your salvation is a salvation experience that should be growing in a way that's transformative. And a reflection of who Christ is in your life. God is love. 
For when we ourselves are comforted, we will certainly comfort you. Then you can patiently endure the same things that we're all suffering. Do you guys realize we're all suffering in some way, shape, or form? You know, when, 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 when I was raising my girls, my wife came to me and she says, girls, you guys have problems. And she explained that everybody's problems are big. Even if they seem like a hangnail to you, they're a big problem. And we're all suffering. Some of us are suffering greatly. Our job is to understand everybody's suffering. And we need to be comforted and then give it away. God is waiting for you to comfort someone so that the glove of God can be truly transformative. Here's the last part is this. God is good. Listen, it's easy to say, God is good. I got paid on Friday. Woo! Steaks and baked potato, that's all good. But about the 28th, it's like, where are you, God? All there is is top ramen. The point is this. We celebrate God when it's good. It's easy. Yay, Jesus. Our future. Our hope. It's good. But when things hit the fan, when stuff hits the fan, you know what that stuff is? It's not good. When that hits the fan, are you still celebrating? The truth is we need to understand the principle that God is good. And here's the last verse that the Apostle Paul writes that we're using today. He says, we are confident as you share in your suffering that you will also share in the comfort that God has given you. The Apostle Paul's confident. And you should also be confident that God is good and that he will bless you and he will bring you to a place of comfort in the midst of your suffering. Evil is the absence of God. Evil is the absence of God. Suffering is part of God's plan. Don't fall victim to the lie that there shouldn't be earthquakes and tornadoes and accidents and death. That's all part of life. Listen, we're all going to die. But those that trust in Jesus are going to have a life everlasting. Don't fall victim to nothing that's really holding you back from holding on to everything. God gave us Jesus so that we could hold on to. Then Jesus left, and he left us with this Holy Spirit that is our great discipler so that we can hold on to him and have a part of him every minute of every day. We've got something to hold on to, and it will last forever if you allow it to last. God is good. So why do we suffer? Can't God, isn't God big enough? Hurricane, stop. He calmed the, boat, the seas on the ocean once. Why doesn't he stop it? Why doesn't he stop natural disasters? Do you realize if he stopped natural disasters, he would have to stop all weather patterns and wind patterns and everything moving on earth that was uh, weather related completely? Something that's happened in the uh, Indian Ocean would have to be stopped because it's going to affect the Pacific coast. Something happening in Antarctica would need to be stopped because it's affecting the Atlantic coast. Everything would have to be stopped. How about sin? How come people uh, that are, are, are for God or against God still sin and create chaos? He would have to stop all sin, all lust, all pride, all arrogance, all greed, all hate. There would be no sin. And all we would have is this robotic life, this choiceless life. And some say, well, that's heaven. No, 
In heaven, you're going to have a choice, and your choice is always to worship God. In heaven, you got freedom in Christ. A choiceless place, you have no, no choices at all. It's like opening up the fridge, and all there is is cottage cheese for the rest of your life. I, I said yogurt first service. Everybody booed that. Somebody said, try cottage cheese. Does anybody have any cottage cheese? I like cottage cheese. Listen, you don't want to live in a choiceless place. We have free will, and it can be good when it's used for God. But a lot of bad happens, and there's a lot of suffering because of that. But God has given us something to hold on to in the absence of godless things. In the absence of God, he sent his son and gave us the Holy Spirit to hold on to. If people didn't partake in evil acts, let, let me bend your mind one more time. If people didn't partake in evil acts, the world would be incapable of understanding mercy, compassion, and love. There'd be no love, there'd be no mercy, there'd be no, we'd be incapable because we wouldn't know it because there wouldn't be God because it would be a robotic place. That's who God is. He's a merciful God. He, he does things even when you don't deserve it. He's a compassionate God, and he's a God that loves you. I'm going to ask you one more question today. Kind of ponder this as you go out. Where is the Bible? Where is the gospel the most alive in the world today? I met with a missionary on Tuesday, and he was just coming back from Africa. The southern portion of the world is on fire for Christ. Even China, we're having a speaker, Brother Yoon, come on the 11th, partnering with another church, and Brother Yoon, and all the stuff. It's going to be a powerful look for more information. But in the areas where there's great suffering, the gospel is on fire. In America, do you realize that the gospel is dying? Because we've created a middle class. We've created class systems here so that we don't suffer. This last week, my greatest suffering was in a heat wave. Someone stole my parking spot at Walmart. And I had to walk from the back. That's not suffering. But in the places where they don't have enough food, and their kids' stomachs are struggling to, to, to distend, and there's no water, there's no place to live. People are living in areas. The gospel and the movement of God is on fire. In America, we've gotten rid of suffering. Because we don't want it. And the gospel's dying. God doesn't want that for us. He's an infinite God. He's a powerful God who is all sovereign and doesn't want to take away your will. He wants you to choose him. He doesn't want to force it on you. He wants you to choose a life for him. He doesn't want to force it on you. And he gave us a wonderful plan so that we wouldn't be limited if there was no evil and there was not suffering, the death and the resurrection and all that was done on the cross would be meaningless. There wouldn't be a need for God. But we need God. Romans says, you see, at just the right time, when the world was living in a hole, when there was a huge void and an absence of God, at just the right time, when the world needed a savior, a savior was born, and then a savior died so that you and I can have a life full of God, a life full of glory, a life full of his grace and mercy, that you can have a life to hold on to, and you could give it away to someone else and say, God is for me, and no one can be against me. Do you believe that today? Really? Do you believe that today? 
It's hard to pour out your heart and not move people. I don't want to get up here and do this for nothing. I'm not talking about money. I'd do this for free if we would move mountains. Today, there's going to be a prayer team up here. And if you're suffering, please come up and pray. And if, if you're too embarrassed, wait until everybody leaves and then come up. They'll stay as long as you want. And if they kick us out of the building, we'll go, go out into the streets and pray. Don't go another moment suffering. Because God came at just the right time so that we can be alive. Just bow our heads and pray. Father, I hope you're answering questions to people today. I hope not for me because I need it, but I hope for these people because I know they need it. Lord, just pour out your spirit upon us. And if someone here doesn't know Jesus, the one that died so that we can have life everlasting, if you don't know him and you need him in your heart and you're feeling God tug on you to, to make a response to him, He's calling you apart from God and into a relationship with him. If that's you, just repeat after me. Father, forgive me. Come into my heart. Come into my soul and be my Lord and Savior forever. I know that you died for me, Lord, and my sinful ways. But I know that you will give me life everlasting. I receive you. I receive your Holy Spirit. I want to live for you the rest of my life. If that's you today, you've just accepted Jesus. And you're now part of the greatest family, the greatest movement that this world has ever seen. Lord, anoint us today. Let us pour out our suffering and let us respond to evil with your love and your goodness. Amen.